Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Tonight I want to turn to Genesis chapter 7. And I want to get back into our study, a deep dive into the first several chapters of Genesis, which gives us our foundation. Helps us to know, you know, it helps us really to understand a lot of the rest of Scripture. And so we've already seen in the book of Genesis that God had made this perfect creation, but then sin came into the world. And uh, this rebellion uh, of the serpent and then of mankind, it corrupted everything. And mankind's own nature was corrupted. Uh, And it was, everything was messed up. I mean, sin quickly took hold of the nature of mankind, such that within one generation, I mean, it only took one generation for the first murder to happen. And you would think that, I mean, after a murder, I mean, things couldn't get any worse than that. But they did. Now, uh, in the beginning of chapter 6, we're told this story about uh, the sons of God and daughters of men, and you know what in the world that all means, you know, well, well, you just read about that and figure it out. Whatever it is, it was like the epitome of the corruption. It was just a a picture of the corruption that, uh, that happened to mankind. And within 10 generations of Adam and Eve's fall, you know, God finally said, all right, enough. The wickedness of man was great upon the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of their heart was nothing but evil. Continuously, it says. Well, it, uh, it goes on to say that God regretted that he had made man on the earth And he was determined to blot man off the face of the earth. But there was one man, and there was one family that found grace in the eyes of God. This man who found grace was not perfect. You don't get grace because you're perfect. This man was not sinless. You don't get grace because you're sinless. You get grace because God gives grace. And God worked in his life so that he stood out from uh, the rest of of the people that were on the face of the earth. It says in chapter 6, and it's repeated here in chapter 7, that that he was blameless in his generation. He was different than everybody else. I mean, again, not sinless, but he was blameless. He stood out because God was working in his life and he had faith uh, in, in God. And so God was ready to give full vent of his wrath against humanity, the corruption, the sin that happened to his creation. But God didn't just give up on mankind. God saved a remnant. And so God instructs Noah to build this ark, this container, this box that would hold all those who were going to be saved. Now, if I'm reading things correctly, it talks about 120 years. So it might mean that there was 120 years, but between God telling Noah and Noah finishing it, or it might be talking about mankind would only live about 120 years, but, but whatever happened, okay, so God gave the instructions. Okay, you're going to build the ark. It's this many cubits by this many cubits by this many cubits, and uh, it's a big, big old thing. But now the time 
came to get in. You know, during the time that, that, that Noah was, was building this ark, I mean, mankind continued this downward spiral in wickedness. I mean, it's not like things got any better. You know, depending on how you read it in First Peter, there's something that talks about preaching to the souls and things like that. So, you know, Noah may have been trying to warn people. You know, here, here's this guy building this big thing and all the people around the area are like, what in the world are you doing? And he's explaining to them what he's doing. You see, God's going to destroy the world with a flood because y'all are evil. Y'all are wicked. And they laughed at him. They're like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Noah, Noah's crazy. Well, God finally brings the flood. First, I mean, I want you to notice that it's God himself who gives refuge. God's the one who gives refuge. And so let me read verses 1 through 10 of Genesis chapter 7. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the earth, of the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. So again, in verse 1, you know, God points out that Noah is unique. He is chosen. He has grace in the eyes of God, and God does a work in his life. I mean, within that generation on the earth, that generation was so wicked, Noah alone was righteous before God. Again, not sinless, not perfect, but Noah trusted in God. Noah followed God to the best of his ability. And so now God says, it's time to get into the ark. And he invites him to come into the ark, but he wasn't going to be alone. His wife was going to be with him, his sons, his daughter-in-laws would be in with them. And the humans wouldn't be alone because animals would be brought in there. There would be a remnant of the animals of the land and there would be a remnant of the animals of the air. Obviously, you can't, you can't put the sea animals on the ark, but they'll survive because it's water and, and it's a flood. But it... What was getting into that ark was going to be a new start. It was going to be a new beginning. There was going to be a renewal on the earth. Noah is the new Adam. And his sons and the animals would repopulate the earth after the earth had been cleansed of the wickedness of mankind. Now you'll notice that it says something interesting. Uh, I find it interesting. You know, theological nerd, I find things interesting because in chapter 6 it talks about, okay, you're going to bring a pair of each animal on, on the ark. And, and um, now in chapter 7, it, it, the, there's this distinction between animals. It says, 
you know, it's not a contradiction, you know, because it says in the ESV, bring seven pairs of these animals. It's just, you know, in chapter 6, it was just kind of a generalization, and now the real plan of God is being brought out. And according to the ESV, it says seven pairs of clean animals. Now, in the King James Version, and the New King James Version, it says seven animals. I mean, technically, the, the Hebrew word there just means seven. I mean, it doesn't say seven what. It just says uh, seven. But I, I believe that seven pairs, saying that it's seven pairs of clean animals is correct. Because right after it says seven pairs, uh, or the number seven, it says the, you know, the male and his mate. You know, if, if there's seven, only seven animals, there's going to be one left out, right? So, I mean, you know, that this guy, he sees all his comrades in there going in two by two, and then he's left all alone. Hey, where's my mate? So it makes more sense that it's seven pairs of clean animals that are brought on board. Now, how at this time the distinction was made between clean and unclean is unknown because we're not really introduced uh, to that concept until later, like in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14 and things like that. But there may have been a general awareness of what was clean and what was not clean. Or, you know, God may have just explained it to, to Noah. But why were there more clean animals brought on board? Well, the, the reason being, one, because the clean animals were the only acceptable sacrifice that God at that time would uh, accept. And they would also be the only animals that would be acceptable for food. We'll see later, it, it appears that mankind was, was vegan, you know, until that time, and then God gives the okay for meat. Unfortunately, it wasn't until the New Testament that God said, you can eat bacon. Yeah. But whatever. So the clean animals, needed. there needed to be more of them for them to procreate more so that there would be the sacrifices and the food. And so God gives the invitation to enter into the ark. And it says in verse 5 that Noah did all that God commanded. Oh, that that would be said of us. With God's aid, Noah gets all these animals in the ark, clean and unclean, two and two. And there's a seven-day gap between the invitation and the beginning of the flood. But everybody who's supposed to be in the ark gets in the ark. But I want you to notice something. God is the one who provided the refuge from his own judgment. God was going to judge. God was grieved. He was angry. He was ready to blot man out of the earth. And honestly, he could have just swept everybody away, including Noah. I mean, Noah sinned, so Noah should have been judged. God had every right to destroy everything and everybody. He had every reason to destroy everything and everybody, but God did not do that. He provided a place of refuge by his grace. Noah built the ark. The ark was a place of refuge and safety from the flood, the, the, the deluge, the judgment that was going to come. And all who were on board the ark were safe and secured and saved and, and, and protected and their lives would be spared. I think you might know where I'm going with this because there is a connection 
The ark is a picture. It is a type pointing to Jesus Christ who now is our refuge. You know that this ark, it, it pictures for us this safety and security that is found in Jesus Christ. And so just like in, in Noah's day, so God's wrath and anger, it, it's just going to come full force. God's righteousness and his justice against sin does not change. There has been, not been a change since day one. God will judge sin, but God also is merciful and gives a place of refuge, of safety. And that's Jesus Christ. He makes a way of, of escape. So God provided this ark through Noah. No one who was on the ark ever was, got lost. No one fell overboard. It wasn't built that way, so someone could fall overboard. God closed the door on the ark. No one would jump out. No one else could come in. But, you know, it was locked up. It was tight. It was secure. And even though this anger and wrath and judgment was let loose all over the earth, and the, the ark was lifted and, and it was tossed, yet everybody inside the ark had nothing to fear when you were in the place of God's refuge. Those in the ark, God's judgment would not touch them. They were in his refuge. And the same goes for those who are in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our refuge. Safety and security, not from the world. They're not just from the world, but from God. I think it's Paul Washer who, who said, you know, people question, what, like, who did God save people from? Well, God saved people from himself because of his righteousness, his, his wrath, his right. I mean, he's just. And yet he also provides a place of refuge, safety, security, salvation. Yeah, in hell, God's wrath is in full force. And those who are there, there is no refuge and there never will be there's going to come a day when jesus christ returns and those who are not in christ will be cast into the lake of fire but those who are in jesus christ no matter how much the world is tossing and turning and when god's wrath is finally let loose i think again it's paul washer who talks about the fact that you know, using kind of a picture. With one hand, God is summoning humanity to come to him through Jesus Christ. With the other hand, he is holding back his wrath. But there's going to come a day when he drops both hands. And his wrath is going to be let loose. But if you're in Jesus Christ, you do not have to worry. You are safe. You are secure. You can't jump out. No one can pull you out. Whatever is happening, going on in the world, all of those who are in Christ are safe. And God's wrath will not touch you. That's why it's so important to be in Christ. That's why it's so important to believe He is God the Son. He is the Messiah. He is the one who died on the cross and rose 
again. Because he is the only refuge. Noah did not build five or six arks. He built one. And all those who were not in that one ark destroyed. God made one way of refuge, of salvation. Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so God is just, and he is going to take care of sin, but he is merciful. He provided a way of escape from his justice. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And if you're saved, then thank him that you have that refuge. Thank you that you can rest in safety. You don't have to worry about the day when he drops his hand, so to speak, and that wrath is allowed. His justice is just allowed. You're safe and secure for all of eternity. But let's continue in the chapter. Because then, I mean, it, it talks about the release of God's wrath. So let's begin in verse 11, going till the end of the chapter, Genesis 7. So in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind and all the livestock according to their kinds and Every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. The flood finally comes. Everything that Noah had been prepared for. And we're told that, that the fountains of the great deep burst forth. And the windows of the heavens were, were, were open. You know, you'll notice that the destruction came from below and it came from above. So, you know, you, you think about this, you're like, where in, the, where in the world would all this water come from? Well, you know, underneath the surface of the earth, there's all these pockets and nooks and crannies and crevices. I don't know what you want to call it. There, there's all these places where water hides underneath the earth. Because, you know, you couldn't fathom that it would rain that much. I mean, I know it rained a whole lot last night. I mean, we got, I don't know if you noticed, in the parking lot, we now have Lake Harvest in the middle of our parking lot. So it rained a lot, but it sure didn't rain that much. It would cover the whole earth. 
I was just happy that the office didn't flood or anything like that. So, um, so I mean, but think about what happened. So there's all this water that's underneath the surface, and all of a sudden, it comes up. So it's like the, the opposite of a volcano, in the sense where, you know, a volcano is hot. But when a volcano explodes, you have all this lava and all this ash that comes up, and it starts covering everything. Well, now, instead of hot fire, it's water. Boom! Explosions all over the earth of this water that's coming up from underneath. You know, I also think about, you know, sometimes you see water lines burst, and there's all this water, you know. You know, these main lines burst, and there's all this water coming up. Well, you know, magnify that a million times, and, you know, that, I guess that's what, what happened. So there's all this water coming up from below. There's all this water coming down from uh, above. But you know what? Everyone who was in the ark was safe, secure. They were able to withstand the storm. Now, those outside the ark, not so much. You know, all these people who told Noah that he was crazy, He's nuts. And they went about their wicked ways. All of a sudden, boom. All these water volcanoes, whatever, you know, blowing up from the bottom. And all this ring. They started knocking on that door. Can we come in? But it was too late. All those who mocked Noah for all those years wished they would have listened to him. But it's too late. You know, Christ, he, he gives parables about that. The foolish virgins and parables like that. There's going to come a time. Christ returns. Or, you know, there's going to come a time you're someone's death. And then they're facing this deluge, this, this wrath of God. They're going to start knocking. Hey, can I come into the ark can I come into the place of safety, to the place of refuge? Can I, can I come to Christ now? It's too late. The wrath of God is already upon you. And here's the wrath of, of the flood. You know, there's a debate among scholars whether or not, you know, the flood was just local or if it was worldwide. And because, you know, they say, well... You know, actually, humanity and the animals didn't spread that far out over the globe yet. So, I mean, it only needed to be local. You know, humans were still mostly in the Macedonia area, probably at that time. But, I, you know, I, I think that it, it was a global flood. Um, because, well, um, in verses 19 and 20, it says that the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered, up to 15 cubits. I don't know, I, I didn't do the math to figure out how 15 cubits. 15 times 18 inches, so we'll say 20 feet. So the high mountains, even the highest mountains, were still 20 feet underwater. So, right, we were in Montana, there were some big mountains in Montana. I mean, you, you know, you just look up. And what's kind of funny, watching the, you, you look at these mountains and you can't even see the tops of the mountains because they're so tall and there's all these clouds there. Try skiing through that. <laughs> there's all these mountains were so high. So imagine, I mean, they're touching the clouds. And it says that, I mean, they were 20 feet underwater. That has to be global for something like that to happen. 
And so the whole earth was covered with the waters, but the flood accomplished what it set out to do. In verse 21, it says, all flesh died. In verse 22, it says, everything that had the breath of life died. In verse 23, it says that God blotted out every living thing. And so, you know, you got the, the rains coming down, you got the water bursting from, from the, the earth, and it says it lasted 40 days. I mean, you know, we are, rightly so, anytime a storm comes around this area, you know, we, we're on high alert, we get freaked out. But that lasts, you know, a few hours. Imagine going through a storm that lasts 40 days. I mean, our dog hates storms. And, boy, she gets all sorts of whiny and high-strung. We probably need to get her some medicine or something. Get her. And when a storm comes, I mean, she'd probably have a heart attack if it was like a 40-day storm. I mean, that's a long time that the waters kept bursting from the earth and the waters kept falling down from from the sky. Well, I guess it would take 40 days to get 20 feet over the mountains. So I guess that makes sense. And then it says that the waters, they prevailed over the earth for 150 days. And so I, I think that a lot of the geological wonders that are on the earth were formed during the time of the flood. You know, I'm, I have no proof of this. I wasn't there at the time. But, you know, I'm thinking... Something like maybe the Grand Canyon was formed during the flood and things like that. And, and honestly, you know, a lot of the layers of rocks and sediments, I'm, I'm not very scientific, I know. All, all you scientific folks are like, oh, stop trying to be. But all the layers of dirt that they, you know, oh, well, that's from this age, that's the Jurassic area, and that's the this and that. Well, no, it was just the flood, you know, piling things on top of one another. God fulfilled what he set out to do. Everything was destroyed. God's feelings towards sin has not changed. I don't know why we think, however many thousands of years later, God's like, oh, okay, well, you know, it's all good. His feelings towards sin have not changed. His justice will come out. And so we need to make sure that we are in a place of refuge. We need to make sure that we are in Christ. And we need to pray that those who right now are mocking God, are shaking their fists at God, who deny God, who argue against God, they, they argue against his, the refuge that he provided. They mock the refuge that he provided in Jesus Christ. We, we need to pray that they are, are turned. And they get it. You know, God, and you know, we'll get to it eventually, God says he'll never destroy the earth by flood again. That doesn't mean that he won't give out his justice. That doesn't mean somehow that uh, he won't show his wrath, his judgment anymore. He most certainly will. And so we need to make sure and we need to pray for others 
you know, we need to make sure that we're in the ark, so to speak. We need to pray that others would come into the ark. That ark is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that will protect us from the flood of God's wrath, of God's justice. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.